Are you married? Are you gonna be married? Your marriage is a picture of Christ and his church. Your marriage preaches a gospel. It either preaches a gospel that is full of love, grace, forgiveness, mercy, permanence, commitment, sacrifice, service, or it preaches a gospel that is absent of those things, and your marriage is preaching a false gospel that looks nothing like the gospel of Jesus Christ and his church. That's how significant your marriage is. Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus, and I'm so glad that you've joined us here today. The relationship between Christ and His church, it's the true love story that's woven throughout the pages of Scripture. In his letter to the church at Ephesus, the Apostle Paul sheds new light on the mystery and significance of marriage when he says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Well, today we'll continue in the Be Bold series with a message just as important and relevant to the church today. So listen in as Pastor Trent urges believers to be bold about the significance of marriage. Here's Pastor Trent. Open your Bible to Hebrews chapter 13. And then uh, I also want you to put a marker in Romans chapter 1. So find those two places. We're going to be in Hebrews first. And then we'll get to Romans chapter 1 in just a moment. So we are in this series, Be Bold, and we're addressing some of these controversial topics. They're not controversial if you just believe God's Word, but they are a little controversial. The darker the days get, the bolder the Christians must be, and so we're challenging you to be bold about some specific things, to be bold about the origin of man, to be bold about the sanctity of life today. I want to challenge you to be bold about the significance of marriage. And in saying that, I want to acknowledge, I realize not everybody in the room is married. And some of you checked out when I said that. I'm like, well, this message is not for me. Oh, yes, it is. How many of you in the room are married? Hold up those wedding rings. Gotcha. Yeah. So uh, not everybody's married. And uh, there are people here who have never been married. And I acknowledge there are people in this room that desperately want to be married. I know there's people here that have at the top of your prayer request list, Lord, please send me a marriage partner. I often remind those people, there are people in church today who are married that their prayer request at the top of their list is, Lord, would you please allow me to be single again? because this is not going well. This is not what I thought it would be. And so when we talk about the significance of marriage, please understand, as significant as marriage is, marriage is not ultimate. You can't look to marriage for something God never intended marriage to provide. God did not create marriage to fulfill your every longing as a human being. He created Your heart was created to know Him to meet those needs. And so as we talk about that, I acknowledge there are people here who have never been married, and yet 91% of us, if statistics hold true, at some point in our lives will be married. There are people here who are single again. You were married, and maybe through the loss of a loved one, through death, you're a widow, or maybe uh, there was a divorce. Some of you are here, you've 
been single, you were married, you were single again, and now you're married again. Maybe you're in your second marriage or maybe even your fifth marriage. Let me just go on record to say at the beginning of this thing, it doesn't matter if you're in your first marriage or your fifth marriage. Our goal is to make sure this is your last marriage. Okay, that's, that's the thing that we're going for here. And so whatever's in your past, it's all about what's happening right now and in the future for you. And there are people here that I just want to acknowledge from the very beginning. There are people here that are dealing with a same-sex attraction. <gasps> in church? Yes, in church, in this church. And we're going to look at what God's Word has to say to people that deal with that particular issue. And so... Have I got your curiosity up now? It's like, man, some of you really leaned in when Pastor Nathan said, seventh grade and above. It's like, that's the first time you paid attention in church in your life. It's like, man, this is going to be hot, you know, and steamy. Well, it's going to be appropriate, but we are going to look at what God's Word has to say here unapologetically to us about the issue of marriage. So here in Hebrews chapter 13, I want us to start with this one verse. It says, Hebrews 13, 4, Let marriage be held in honor among all. So marriage is something that is honorable to God. And you have a responsibility, if you're to obey this verse, whether you're married or single, there is a part that you play in honoring the institution of marriage. Not only the institution of marriage, but your particular marriage. Some of you say, well, I can't honor marriage because I'm not married. Please listen. What you're doing with your life right now will determine whether or not you have an honorable marriage later on for some of you. There are things that some of you are doing to dishonor marriage before you actually have one. And so marriage is to be held in honor among all. All single people need to honor marriage. All married people need to honor marriage. And then it goes on and says, let the marriage bed be undefiled. Now, I preach from the English Standard Version. It's a good version. It's not the only version, but it's the one we use here. And he, the, the, the translators of the English Standard Version have done us a favor. They've actually camouflaged and sanitized the Greek words that were used where it says marriage bed. Can I just tell you what it's talking about there? In case you haven't figured that out, it's talking about the act of sex. And in this verse, it says that we are to hold marriage in such high esteem, and one of the ways that we do that is by making sure that the act of sex is undefiled. That means undiluted, unpolluted, not blurred or marred in any way. The act of sex is such an honorable thing when it is in the context of a marriage bed that we have an obligation to God. It's an act of worship to God to keep that from being defiled. We're going to look at how it gets defiled a little later on. And then it says this, For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. If you needed a little motivation to keep the marriage bed undefiled, here's a little motivation. God takes very seriously when the act of sex is defiled. So much so that the Bible says that He 
actively gets involved in judging those who defile it. How do you defile it? It mentions two things. Sexual immorality, we'll talk more about that in a minute, and the act of adultery. So premarital sex, extramarital sex, any sexual activity outside of a marriage is something that God takes very seriously. So today, we want to answer three questions. First of all, what makes marriage so significant? Secondly, what causes marriage to become insignificant? 41% of people surveyed said, you know what, marriage is obsolete. That just is really not part of a good cultural thing for us to do. And the third question is this, how do I honor the significance of marriage? You personally, your marriage, you as a single person, what must you do to obey Hebrews 13.4? So let's deal with the first question in this way by answering it in three ways. Number one, marriage is designed and defined by God. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, if you've been here the past two weeks, you realize this is a recurring verse. From the very first page of the Bible, we're seeing things that God wants us to be bold about. God created man in his own image. And so we dealt with that a couple of weeks ago. The origin of man, you're not, you are not an amoeba that formed in a primordial soup and grew into the person you are today. You are a special created being by God with intentionality. God created you. And the Bible says that we are stamped in his image. In the image of God, he created them. So the fingerprints of God are all over you because you are stamped with the image of God. You have intrinsic Dignity, value, and worth. That means that every human life is precious and is to be protected. And so we looked at the sanctity of life last week. But then look at the next part. God tells us very specifically that he created them male and female. He created them. And God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Listen, gender is assigned by God. Gender is not an accident. Gender is something that has a very special created purpose. And so God has created men and women equal, but he has not made them the same. We are different in every cell of our bodies, and those differences have a created purpose, that when they come together, they complement one another in a way that brings glory to God, and in case you haven't noticed, it is the combination of the two, two genders that makes babies. And God says that is a blessed thing. So he created them male and female. He blessed them, and God says, get after it. We need some kids. That's what he said. And he's excited when kids show up through the, the sexual union of a man and a woman in a covenant marriage relationship. And so God gave us the institution of marriage. A lot of debate in our culture today about what marriage is. Can I just clear it up for you? Marriage is, if you were to take everything the Bible has to say about marriage and smash it into one sentence, it would sound like this. Marriage is a holy covenant initiated by God and conditioned on an irrevocable promise to pursue oneness with an imperfect person of the opposite sex for a lifetime for the glory of God. Did you get that? 
Don't try to write that down. That's just kind of an overview. In case you were wondering, that all those different pieces are very important to the definition of what marriage is. Now, what we need to understand is because the state did not design marriage, it cannot recreate marriage. Because the state didn't define marriage to begin with, God did that, you can't redefine something that God has defined. And so we understand that this nation, if it wants the blessing of God, needs to recognize and regulate marriage according to God's design and definition. However, if you want to invite the judgment of God, as we've read about this morning, start playing around with God's definitions. That's a problem. So we want to honor marriage by understanding marriage is designed by God and defined by God. Here's the second thing. Marriage is a picture of Christ and his church. Look here in Ephesians chapter 5. Paul, in writing to the church, wants to remind them of something he read on the first page of the Bible. He quotes from Genesis chapter 2 verse 24, and he says this, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now, first of all, I want you to notice there's four references to gender in that one verse. God is very specific about the role of a man in a marriage and the role of a, of a, of a wife in a marriage, the role of a father and the role of a mother. God wants all those differences working in harmony to create a marriage. And in the context of that marriage, do you know what happens? You actually reflect the relationship that Jesus Christ has with his church. Do you know the plot line of the Bible? Do you know the story? There's only one story in the Bible. Do you know it? Here it is. A father sent a son to win a bride so that from their union, there would be spiritual children. That's the plot line of the Bible. The Bible opens with a wedding. And on the last page of the Bible, do you know what we find? A wedding. Everything in the Bible is illustrating for us how God wants to have union with you. He wants to take two very distinct things. I don't know if you can call God a thing, an entity, a, a holy God, a holy God and a sinful man and put them together in harmony. And everything that it takes for a husband to be in harmony with a wife is what it shows about the relationship that Jesus has with his bride. Jesus has a very resistant, ugly bride. She's got wrinkles and flaws. She can't stand up half the time. She's disoriented. She's pursuing other lovers. And Jesus, as the groom, wins that bride over through grace and forgiveness and love. We, as the church, if you are in the church, if you're connected to the church through union with Christ, you are someone who has been won by the love of a perfect groom. That's the story of the Bible. And your marriage, are you married? Are you gonna be married? Your marriage is a picture 
of Christ and his church. The question is, is it a true or a false picture? Your marriage preaches a gospel. It either preaches a gospel that is full of love, grace, forgiveness, mercy, permanence, commitment, sacrifice, service, or it preaches a gospel that is absent of those things and is filled with bitterness and strife and tension and adultery and unfaithfulness. And your marriage is preaching a false gospel that looks nothing like the gospel of Jesus Christ and his church. That's how significant your marriage is. It's a picture of the relationship Jesus has with his church. Your marriage is either displaying or distorting the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's how significant marriage is. And then number three, understand this. Marriage is the only place where you can experience the pleasure of sex and the pleasure of God at the same time. Yes, you are now writing in the blank the word sex in church. She's like, I didn't think I would ever do that. Yes, there it is. Now, I want you to think about the ramifications of this statement. Marriage is the only place where you can experience the pleasure of sex and the pleasure of God in the exact same moment. Do you want to live your life for the pleasure of God? Do you want God to smile on your life? you want God to be pleased with your life? Well, here it is. When it comes to sex, the only place that you can experience the pleasure of sex at the same time God being pleased with what you are doing is in the context of marriage. And so we don't play around with this precious gift. So we need to ask the question, okay, so what is this gift of sex that God has given? Can we give it a definition in church? Here it is. Sex is a wedding gift that God gives to men and women who enter into an exclusive lifelong covenant with each other for the purpose of pursuing companionship, and resulting in a legacy of godly children. Is that a surprising definition of sex for you? All we did was couple sex with everything we see in Scripture that God designed sex to be attached to. Sex was attached to a wedding to a covenant, to a man and a woman who are pursuing companionship, oneness, understanding that it is their sexual relationship that is intended to produce the next generation of godly children. So we need to get a better definition of sex than the one that we've been playing with. Now, we need to understand that God has designed us as sexual beings. It's not something to be afraid of. Um, sex is not a four-letter word. It, it's a good gift that God gives to people who enter into this lifelong relationship. And our ultimate joy is found when we do things God's way. Don't you think that God who invented the body that invented the biological plumbing of a male and the biological plumbing of a female, 
Don't you think that he knew what he was doing when he put those two things uh, on the planet? And then God wants your body to experience maximum joy. And so in order for you to experience maximum joy, he puts boundaries around things that will ultimately destroy your joy. And so that's why he gives us this wedding gift in the context of marriage. Now, if that's the definition of marriage, please understand, anything outside of that definition, God considers sin. Have you heard of sin? Have you heard of this concept of sin? It's not a popular concept, but it's still a concept that we need to be aware of. What is sexual sin? Well, first of all, let me just say that I, prob- I, would, I would think that every person in this room right now is a sexual sinner. I, I know that you're all sinners, but probably you have stepped outside of the boundaries that God intended sex to be in. And so what that means is we read the scripture, God identifies a lot of things that are outside of those boundaries and are off limits for those of us who claim Jesus is our Savior and our Lord. That means that lust is sin. Inappropriate touching is sin. Friends with benefits is sin. Using pornography is sin. Self-gratification is sin. Extramarital sex is sin. Premarital sex is sin. Polygamy is sin. Rape is sin. Incest is sin. Prostitution is sin. Human trafficking is sin. Same-sex activity is sin. And same-sex marriage is not even a real thing. So, what do you do with a bunch of sexual sinners? You are loved. Let's dismiss the service and go home. Is that what you should do? No, let me just say, hey, we're all in the bucket of at some point driving in a lane outside of God's parameters for sex. So the question is, does the gospel speak to sin? Absolutely. Whatever bucket, whatever particular sexual sin you've committed, you need to understand there's power, there's hope, and there's forgiveness in the gospel, but there is judgment for those who will not repent and believe and put themselves under God's definition. We're all sexual sinners. So the next question is this, what's causing marriage to become so insignificant? Well, I believe the reason we see the insignificance of marriage in our culture, the reason why people aren't getting married anymore and those that are throwing away marriage as soon as it gets hard, the reason it's becoming so insignificant is because we are trying to experience sex without everything else in that definition. The world and the culture will try to hold out to you a definition of sex that does not involve children. Because of the invention and the the availability of contraception and abortion, we tend to view children as an inconvenience that shows up when contraception fails or we choose not to get an abortion. As a result, there are less and less children and our view of children is something less than the precious gift that God intended them to be. Hey, are you aware that Islam is the fastest growing 
world religion. Did you know that? Is that because those in the Muslim religion are converting people to Islam? Not so much. Do you know why it's the fastest growing religion? They're still having babies. While what are Christians doing? The average couple in America has 1.7 children. That's not even enough to sustain the population. And so we look at children as something that get in the way of our career goals and, oh, we want to stay married and we just kind of want to focus on each other for a few years. And, and then pretty soon it's like, you know, well, I just don't think this is the right time. And we just keep putting it, putting it, putting it. And we, we aren't being fruitful and multiplying, as God says. Now, that doesn't mean if you have nine children, you somehow get extra brownie points in heaven, okay? And, and it doesn't mean that if you don't have children, somehow you're not blessed by God. Uh, Infertility is a real thing. One in six married couples experiences fertility issues, and, and we grieve and we mourn, and, and our hearts ache for those that want children, but for some reason, God's not allowed that. And at some point, after we've prayed all of our prayers, we have to throw our hands up and say, God, we trust you. We trust your providence. We trust your sovereignty. And then we can start pursuing maybe other options like adoption. There's so many kids available that, that need a godly home, and yet we've tried to find our sexual pleasure decoupled, detached from the thought that this sexual union will bring children into the world. And then we've detached sex from marriage. Couples who were pretending to be married, had had a relationship for a long time and just kind of acted like they were married, but they'd never exchanged vows, never made promises, never entered into covenant, never filed down at the courthouse for a marriage license. And uh, people say to me all the time, like, we don't need a piece of paper to show that we love each other. And I say, yes, you do. Well, why is that? Because one of these days, Mr. Boyfriend's going to wake up and he's not going to feel the love. And he's not going to remember all these nice little things he said to you out on the dinner date, and he's going to find somebody cuter than you, and he's going to want to pursue them. Do you know what that piece of paper does? That piece of paper reminds him of the promise that he made to remain faithful for better or for worse, richer or poorer, sickness and in health, forsaking all others as long as we both shall live. Sign on the dotted line, please. We want to remind you of that promise. And we're even going to go so much, we're going to file it, we're going to put it on record at the courthouse, the state's even going to recognize this thing. Yeah, the piece of paper is important because it is a record of the promise that you made in covenant relationship. We've been listening to a message by Pastor Trent Griffith. Pastor Trent said this, Marriage is the only place where you can experience the pleasure of sex and the pleasure of God at the same time. In today's culture of uninhibited sexuality, this biblical viewpoint is foreign to so many and unpopular with most. As believers, we have the responsibility and privilege of holding a high scriptural view of intimacy in marriage and walking in obedience to the Word of God. 
Well, I hope you'll join us again next week at this same time as Pastor Trent concludes this message, Be Bold About the Significance of Marriage. And maybe you'll join us at one of our weekend worship services, Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. We're located on Hickory Road, just north of Cleveland in Granger, Indiana. Each week, Pastor Trent boldly proclaims the Word of God, just like he did on today's program. Well, I'm Aaron Paulus, and my hope is that God's Word will resonate in your heart and mind this week. Resonate is a radio ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel, Granger, harvestgranger.org.